The Butt First Stretch podcast taps into the extraordinary endeavors that ordinary humans are doing daily to better their lives and their community. The goal of these conversations is to lengthen and extend our perspective on fitness, nutrition, holistic health, the mind-body connection, and what motivates us. The final portion of each episode will provide a guided meditation to self-reflect on the theme of the interview. Brought to you by Jennifer McCracken of FitFam Conchi. Hi, I'm Jen McCracken of FitFam Conchi. Welcome back to But First Stretch. I'm so glad that you're joining me. If you're liking what you're hearing, please subscribe to me on iTunes, on Spotify, and continue to send amazing reviews. I really appreciate everyone who's reached out to me, and I'm so excited because today's episode is something that I think is really important, and the reason that I sought out this episode was because you have asked for me to do an interview on mental health. So... Please keep the thoughts, ideas coming because the whole purpose of this podcast is to be in community together. So I love hearing other people's stories and these stories hopefully will resonate with you. So our community member of the week on But First Stretch is Rennie Volpe, a licensed professional counselor, um, also known as a licensed psychotherapist. Her official title is LPC. Um, Rennie specializes in evidence-based practices and helps people cope with anxiety, childhood trauma, OCD, and more. Rennie works with people age 11 and older. Mental health is something that has been stigmatized in the past, but today so many people are working to normalize this issue in our society. Like I said earlier, so many people have reached out to me to do an episode on mental health. Because mental health is so broad, I've asked Renny to discuss anxiety and her experience with clients that have anxiety. One in five people, so roughly 40 million, are affected by an anxiety disorder. And this is medical news today. So to be open and honest, one of the questions that I had with Renny was how do we know that um, our mental health is something that's like temporary or permanent like how do we tell when we might need help what are some things that we can do like what's the difference between like being able to regulate your anxiety yourself for example versus going to see somebody and I think it's really important to note that um, I'm not an expert on mental health which is why I asked Rennie to come in so I apologize if any of my questions I feel like throughout the episode I had to explain myself or what I meant to even Rennie who's the professional and I really liked how Rennie described to me that the goal of coping with any kind of anxiety or mental health issue is just like trying to live better like how can we live a better life by finding ways that maybe put our brain or our thoughts in check and a quote that she mentions in the interview that I thought was so I don't know it like stuck out to me so much it was so powerful don't believe everything you think because sometimes and we'll talk about this in the episode sometimes our minds immediately go to a negative thought or a worrisome thought and how can we actually pause 
and retrain the mind to avoid going to that negative thought. And some people have this anxiety disorder worse. And she'll talk about um, people who are struggling with living with anxiety and what they can do versus someone who might have um, anxiety here or there. And I know that um, Rennie's practice, she you can find her at RennieVolpe.com, but she's currently practicing out of Revive Wellness in Conshohocken. It's an excellent practice, and I know that the people working there are really mindful of how to help people cope, whether it's extreme or even smaller smaller issues that might cause us to live better or live our best life. So um, I'm so glad that she's on. Um, she is one of the most warming and welcoming people I know. She never forgets a birthday. She's so kind. And I'm so glad that she is sharing her expertise with us today. So let's stretch our mind, body, and soul. The first portion of the podcast is the warm-up, introducing our guest. Hi, Rennie. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background? Where are you from, and how did you get into counseling? Sure. So I am from this area. Um, I, when I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology, um, it was one of those degrees that you can do a lot of different things with, but you can't do a whole lot with just that. So I knew that there was more uh, education that I would need eventually. So I, um, after graduating, I decided to work at a group home for um, little girls and boys who, for many reasons, could not live with their families anymore. Um, a lot of them experienced abuse and neglect, and that was kind of my first experience working closely with people who experienced uh, psychological trauma. Um, I was really interested in how they experienced the world differently, um, how some coped in healthier ways than others, and I just became really curious about what builds emotional resiliency in people. So I enrolled in a graduate program um, around here, Arcadia University, uh, that had a focus in trauma. and. Since getting my master's, I've worked with victims of sexual assault and rape, families of homicide victims, uh, parents who've lost children to gun violence. Uh, currently, I see people struggling with a variety of anxiety-related issues. So in addition to trauma and PTSD, uh, I focus in obsessive-compulsive disorder and body-focused repetitive behaviors, which include trichotillomania and compulsive skin picking. So it's a full kind of day. Um, I work in a private practice setting now, which is really great with just the flexibility and managing the needs of my family. Um, I'm part-time there and I can kind of set my own hours. So that was a big draw to, um, this type of career, both with feeling like I'm serving a need of the community, um, and also being able to kind of handle the needs of my family. So that's where I am now. And did you always know growing up that this was the direction you wanted to take with your career, with your life? I knew that I needed to work with people directly with people, so that was always up there. Um, I originally saw myself in some type of healthcare profession, um, and I that's what I originally went to school for um, in the in a, like a pre med program. And I took a physiological psychology class, which was basically how the brain influences behavior and emotions. And 
after taking that class, I just became more and more drawn to psychology classes. And then before you knew it, it just made more sense to major <laughs> in psychology. So, yeah. So that's kind of what, what shifted it for me. Oh, that's awesome. So what has been the most rewarding part of your job? You know, I see so many people who have come to me after struggling for years of trying so many other methods to kind of manage um, their anxiety and cope with the pain that that entails. So it feels good to be able to provide such an incredible and much needed service for them and really see people gradually begin to actually live their lives after so many years of suffering is just, it's every day and it's awesome. Oh, that's so awesome. So important. And I almost, I, I feel like knowing you a little bit, I can kind of see what the most challenging part of this job is. What would you say is the most challenging part for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously hearing a lot of the traumatic experiences, um, you know, I always have to remember that people are sharing with me their worst few minutes of their entire life. And when that happens, you know, client after client and day after day, you know, you, you really have to keep those boundaries and our own self-care just to be able to kind of continue with the healing. And that is definitely a struggle to kind of hear those. Um, maybe just making sure that I'm taking care of myself and how can I, I can kind of leave those images in kind of the session room and not take them home with me and that sort of a thing is is definitely a challenge um i would say another difficult part is sometimes it's really it's really great to know that my clients have supportive friends and family that they're going home to but i also recognize that that's not always the case and sometimes the warmth and the validation that they get in session is all that they get in their life and you know it's hard to have them leave and know that what they're going home to is not ideal um, but it's just kind of something that we have to try to figure out in other ways as much as we can um, but also knowing that a lot of what happens outside of session is not in our control and that's really hard <laughs> It is. I know, like, as a teacher in my job, it was always hard not to take home some of the stuff that mm -hmm. happened during the day, the things that made me upset. You know, seeing certain kids and putting, like, that on my kids and being like, I hope that this never happens to them. I hope they never experience this. Mm -hmm. So I know that when you're in working with people, it can be a challenge to, it's almost terrible to say, but to detach yourself from your job aspect and not bring it home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely paints a different picture of what the world seems like and it really takes active steps, at least for me personally, to kind of shift that kind of thinking so that I know, oh, no, I'm just hearing these worst moments. This isn't, you know, mm -hmm. going to happen to me. This isn't going to happen to my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, of course there's risk everywhere, but it sometimes feels like the risk is a little bit more unrealistic than it is, or if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so let's dive into the workout portion. I asked Renny to come on the show to talk about mental health, um, specifically anxiety. And I guess my first question is, and I think this might be a nice way to maybe streamline what is mental health? Like it's a big, big buzzword today, but what does it entail? What is it? So to me, mental health is the way in which we interact with the world. So what we feel, how we behave, and the thoughts that we think. Um, we spend a lot of time and resources kind of attending to our physical needs through diet, exercise, awareness of our body functions, what we wear, how we kind of groom ourselves and present ourselves physically before entering into public spaces and things like that. Um, and this is all important, um, but often the same effort I feel is not often given to uh, checking in on how our thoughts and feelings, behaviors interact with each other and influence our relationships or how we function at our jobs, how we relax, and just our overall life satisfaction. Um, it seems that now people are realizing that all these things matter and that attention to be can be given to mental health without there needing to be a diagnosis or a particular area of suffering. Um, I always say if you have a brain, then you should care about your mental health. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, I, and sorry, this is a just a spur of the moment question. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that there has been so much attention to mental health? Like, I feel like 50 years ago, it was still needed, but we mm -hmm. didn't really talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. why do you think now we're taking the steps to give it a name mm -hmm. and ask people to take care of themselves in this way? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I would imagine there's many answers to that. Some that come to mind more quickly are how easy it is to connect with people socially now, but how also those social connections are just a little bit different than they used to mm. be 50 years ago. And to me, I relate a lot back to kind of what our ancestors' ancestors did mm -hmm. hundreds and <laughs> however, several hundred years ago, and how they were you know, really physically active, they were spending time in nature, they were involved directly in communities and helping each other out. Everybody had a purpose, um, everybody had a job that they kind of contributed to and felt that value and felt that self-worth. And we live a little bit differently now, you know, like we're inside a lot. Um, we're not often in those kind of close connected communities, or many people aren't that feel safe and feel like we um, are have a, have a job and have a purpose that we can kind of add to and see its direct effect on other people. Um, so I think about that a lot and I think about just how different our bodies are set up to be mm. versus from how we're kind of living now and how that definitely has an effect on how we interpret things around us and develop these skills that we need to kind of live uh, to the fullest extent. Yeah, and I think it does tie down to, like, we have so many more ways to communicate, but mm -hmm. are these ways of communicating, I guess, nurturing us? Are they fulfilling us the way it would if, like, you had a baby, everyone in the town would be part of that experience yes. essentially you so. wouldn't have to go back to work and yeah. away from your baby for 12 hours mm -hmm. after two weeks right? right yeah 
And that's like, uh, thank you. That's a, I think there are so many different mm-hmm. ways to look at it, but it does even bring it back. Like soldiers experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, coming back mm-hmm. home and not having those community ties could also mm-hmm. be pretty devastating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you specialize in anxiety and can you explain what anxiety is and what it might look like yes so anxiety can be a really good thing i know that we hear anxiety and we initially say i don't want this but it's up to us to make sure that anxiety works properly and works in the most helpful way so i like to describe anxiety as energy for a challenge um oftentimes our our brain might interpret a situation that could be dangerous and we need to kind of be on the lookout for something. So in those situations, anxiety can be really helpful because it puts us in this hyper alert state so that we can actively respond to these threats. So our heart starts racing, which might make us breathe a little faster, our muscles tense, our pupils dilate, um, digestion kind of halts because your body needs all of that energy to go towards other things. So we might interpret this as stomach ache or nausea um, in the midst of anxiety. Um, All of these things are meant to be helpful in allowing us to face our threat or run away from a threat. So all this energy that our body provides for us is energy for a certain challenge. Um, When a typical person hears the word anxiety, it's likely they think of like worry, fear, or nervousness um, related to any type of uncertainty in a situation, which probably happens a lot for us. Mm -hmm. Um, So specifically what happens is in the limbic system emotions and memories and arousal are kind of all in this same part of the brain Um, the amygdala is responsible for interpreting sensory cues so things around us that we hear or see that might be um, interpreted as some type of danger Um, this causes arousal in our bodies a fear response and then that happens to be right next to the hippocampus in the brain which stores long-term memories so you can see how it becomes really easy to kind of turn things like sensory cues smells or sounds into some type of automatic really quick feared response that happens even if we can kind of take a step back and look at that situation as not dangerous that memory is already stored for us um, I've had a lot of clients with PTSD who will recognize the scent of their abuser after decades mm. so they might be walking through the I don't know perfume or cologne uh, spot at Macy's and have an extreme anxiety panic reaction to catch just catching a whiff of that cologne or that smell and obviously we know that that cologne is not necessarily um, a type of thing that could harm them alone but it has so closely been tied to this really traumatic life or death memory for them Um, and so it's just amazing what happens in the brain when all of these memory and anxiety responses form wow yeah and I guess I guess like we'll kind of talk about this too because I don't know I feel like you said anxiety is good in some way like I know for Mm -hmm. me if I'm running late 
Mm-hmm. I like turn into like a crazy person. Like mm-hmm. I like I'll, my heart starts racing. I'm nervous. Like I don't want to show up anywhere late. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. having kids has kind of like helped me calm that down a little bit yeah. because it's like, well, sorry, yeah, <laughs> couldn't get him in the car. Hopefully, <laughs> um, understand. Yeah, but um, I do know that like, like maybe even before like what a test or something, like a little bit of anxiety could be good to help you you know, sit down, get started. But I guess there's that, well, I guess talk about this is like, where does it become extreme, right? Like having the nervousness or the, the issues of the anxiety before the test versus like, I can't take this test. Like I'm going to. Right. 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 So freak out. Anxiety in many ways is, as we said, is helpful, right? Maybe gets us to work on Mm -hmm. time when we don't want to go. Um, if you're walking down the street and you hear, I don't know, a, a car screeching or somebody yelling, you will turn and, you know, look at that and you will be actively able to kind of be ready to respond to that. And so great when it works, um, when it becomes a serious issue, obviously when it impairs our ability to function. So when we can't work, when we can't engage in social relationships, when we can't eat or sleep as healthily as we could, um, those are signs that anxiety is a, is a big, you know, it, it happens to everybody, but that could be signs that it is a more of a serious issue. Um, I would imagine the majority of people who are suffering with anxiety may not necessarily have an anxiety diagnosis, but this does not mean that there aren't things people can do differently to live more effectively and kind of have a better handle on when is this anxiety helpful and when is it unhelpful and just robbing me of (laughs) my life's joy yeah so you've mentioned a few of the symptoms of anxiety Mm -hmm. it sounds like is there other things that people might not expect i liked how you mentioned like the nausea the stomach ache yeah what else is something that people experience especially when it's more of like that suffering from it's like preventing Mm -hmm. them from living their life to the best right right so physical symptoms definitely what we talked about in that in those initial anxiety response moments are um you know the shortness of breath the rapid heartbeat um your muscles tense um and those are all just to get you ready to respond to a threat Um, Other physical symptoms might include insomnia, fatigue or sweating, um, just general irritability and that feeling of hypervigilance, like you're attending to so many things at at one time. Uh, I think for a lot of people, they might get stuck on these more cognitive symptoms. So um, unwanted thoughts, um, difficulty concentrating, catastrophic thinking or worst case scenario thinking. So might be you know there's an uncertain outcome and you think of the worst possible scenario and that becomes in your mind the most likely scenario which makes sense if we can solve the most likely scenario and be okay in our minds then we don't have anything to worry about never happens like that but that's the idea that our brain is giving us uh so you know what that looks like is really ruminating thought racing trying to tell the future in your mind or mind reading what maybe someone else might be thinking um, Mm. about us a lot of the times with the social anxiety stuff. So how how would you advise clients on how to cope with these different types of anxiety? Because it even sounds like 
that's such a big question because there's so many, first of all, different people, how people handle anxiety, and also even what their anxiety might stem from. Yeah, I think that every person, obviously, as you said, is different, but there are a variety of ways you could kind of take a closer look at how anxiety is affecting you. Um, a lot of my clients, we kind of pause to recognize these learned patterns of interpreting data as dangerous. And a lot of that kind of stems back into our childhood and with our family of origin, what we saw our parents responding to, what we learned kind of just in our environment was necessary to respond to. All these behaviors really helpful when we were kids, often not when we're in a different environment as an adult. So doing a lot of that type of work with recognizing when we can kind of, um, I don't know, what was it? Uh, who was that person on Netflix that did the, I have to get get rid of this if it's no longer bringing oh, me Oh, Marie, Marie Kondo. Yes, we have to, Marie Kondo, some of these coping skills mm. that were really helpful for us at one time, but they no longer bring us joy. <laughs> so um, I like to think of it like that sometimes. And of course, with the trauma memories and um, you know the symptoms of PTSD that people have now and how those early experiences really skewed our worldview and what we expect and how we expect to be treated by other people. Um, what is safe? When can do we need kind of um, more consistent interpersonal boundaries with people to keep ourselves safe? When can we um, kind of let our guard down a little bit if everything feels okay, still feels risky, but you know, can we do this for the betterment of joy later? Um, grounding techniques can be really helpful for people. And this is just when we have that kind of automatic body anxiety reaction to have ways that we can attend to our present environment, um, drawing our attention to neutral stimuli. So just five things that you see around you, three things mm -hmm. that you hear around you. If you are in an active anxiety response, if you can bring your attention back just five and three, it really helps to kind of um, reset that automatic response that's attending to some type of threat that may or may not actually be there. Um, so mindfulness is a big one too, um, and I can talk more about that later, but um, for a lot of people, I know you're big into running mm -hmm. and a variety of different exercises, and exercise, specifically just body movement, especially when that anxiety response happens, um, is really helpful because it so with progressive muscle relaxation this is kind of like a, a relaxation technique that I teach to some clients sometimes and basically the idea behind that is if you can stretch or tense different muscle groups at different times and go through your body you are actively telling your brain this is tense this is relaxed so if you are in your mind thinking of a really um, potentially threatening situation, your body is going to respond to what's happening in your mind. So if you can actively kind of push back and say, this is tense, this mm -hmm. is relaxed, it's almost like the remote control for your brain. If you can both slow down your breathing and tense those muscles and kind of re hit that reset button so that to kind of show your body, show your brain that the anxiety response in your body is not needed right now. Um, so exercise similarly is a great way to do that. 
And that's progressive muscle relaxation? Yes, yes. I'll put something in the show notes about that because I love that. I, I use that in some of my meditations. Um, and you can even do it right now. Just like start from the bottom up, like tense your toes, mm-hmm. release them. Mm-hmm. You know, notice your calf muscles tightening and release them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually a great way to acknowledge just how your body's reacting to anything. Yeah. 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 Oftentimes that's the first thing that happens. Mm -hmm. Our body has that quick response and our brain then follows with all of the hypervigilance and the (laughs) catastrophic thoughts and it can be hard. Sometimes we're halfway down the road before we realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. So it can be good to kind of notice that in your body uh, right away and attend to it to kind of calm that response. So would a panic attack come from this like build up state in the mind from anxiety is that in the body? Is that, is that where panic attacks tend to come from? Sometimes. Sometimes panic symptoms can come just from a rapid heartbeat or just from a dry mouth. And this sends people into a recognition of what those um, body cues were the last time they had their panic attack. And then their brain looks for something to panic about, mm. which a lot of times is just, as we mentioned, the uncertainty of a situation okay. or a feared kind of worst case scenario thought. So many times it can come from an original cognitive thought, but a lot of times it just comes from our body's response first. Um, so we did briefly talk about this, but I want to ask it again because I just feel like it's so important. Can somebody be anxious and not necessarily have... A disorder and to be honest I am not Rennie is the expert here I'm not and I know she'll help me with any terminology that I'm using incorrectly um, because I feel that you know some people might think that they have anxiety issues or, or I don't that's not even that's like coming out wrong too I feel like some people might feel like their anxiety is terrible but it might not be inhibiting their everyday behavior but they still need to do something to lessen that anxiety so they can maybe respond to situations in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. And maybe that's a better way to look at it, overwhelm them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so obviously, if you're a human being, you'll experience anxiety. Um, but the great thing about being a human being is that we have the cognitive ability to kind of override this natural response that happens so often for us. Um, so it's really important, I think, for people to learn when that anxiety response is happening for them, um, what it feels like in their body. Is there an actual, in the present, identifiable threat that they are responding to? Or is this something that they're responding to that either, either hasn't happened yet or may not ever happen? Because oftentimes that's what we respond mm, to in our minds. Yeah, so, yeah. And this is important because it's just really, it's important to kind of most effectively and in a helpful way kind of manage what these responses are in our body. So so a big example might be uh, you're leaving work and uh, you you got to get home to, you know, cook dinner for your kids and you're not sure what's in the fridge, right? So you're thinking about all that <laughs> stuff. Right as you leave, your boss hands you this um, new project and says, you know, okay, it's done in, you have to be, have it done in two weeks. So you're like, oh my gosh, okay. So you're driving home and you're thinking about everything else that's on your plate and 
all these other projects that you still have to finish and now <laughs> this one is added to it, right? So is it helpful as you're heading home to be thinking about your schedule and when you could be fitting this in and oh my gosh, like I'm gonna have to say no to this person and feelings of letting people down might be coming into your mind. You might have those physical feelings of overwhelm that are really common. Um, but let's look at what this response, this ruminating, this heavy breathing is doing for you because it's not keeping you safe. You're driving, you gotta be looking at the road, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be helpful to ruminate about when you walk in the door and your kids are, you know, mom, dad, like, is it, you know, what do you want kind of that impression to be when you walk in, you know? That's not gonna be helpful either. Um, and the bottom line is that you're not solving the problem as you're thinking about all of this. There is a time to solve this problem, but right then is not it. So I think that the catastrophic thinking and the rumination are anxiety's way of trying to keep you safe, right? Because this is the threat that was just handed to you and it came out of nowhere and you're not sure how to process it yet. Mm. But we have to look at, oh, actually, this is not helpful right now to be thinking about like this. When I get to work tomorrow morning, I'll spread out my calendar and I will figure it out. But right now, it is not helping me to think like this. I love that because I actually feel like that's really relatable. And so many people mm -hmm. have had something like that and their mind goes down a, the, wrong path, not, the wrong path because it's not something they can solve in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. causing them distress. And yeah. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. it's a good example, which oftentimes happens, that anxiety is trying to be helpful, but actually it's making things much, mm -hmm. much worse. Right, because you can't do a two-week project on your drive home. Mm -mm. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have the information to mm -hmm. do all of that, so we're, we're trying to solve a problem. You know, and a lot of these things, other kind of concerns will come up, you know, like, oh, I'm going to let my boss down, I'm going to let my coworker down, I'm going to get fired, and then mm -hmm. what are we going to do? We have the mortgage payment due, you know? And it's like, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I get why your brain is telling you that. It's it's a concern to have, but not right now. Not, <laughs> not at that moment. Yeah. It's a problem that hasn't happened yet. So what can we do and to lessen this anxiety? So I briefly mentioned mindfulness um, a few minutes ago, and mindfulness is something that I teach every client, regardless like age, gender, their what they're struggling with. I teach all of my clients this, and um, I think any person can benefit from this skill. So we go our, through our day, we have thousands and thousands of thoughts that run through our minds. And many people find that most of their thoughts are kind of bouncing around with things that happened in the past. So like rumination about a social interaction. Did I put too much on the credit card this month? Those types of uh, worries. Um, or worries about the future. So like our to-do lists, um, how their child is gonna do on their test next week, that sort of thing. It's fine to think about things that have happened in the past and the future, but sometimes we only think about those things and we are not thinking about anything that is directly happening in front of us as often. So on the one hand, it makes sense to worry, but on the other hand, 
it doesn't really make sense to not have our full focus on the present moment because that's all we have active control over, you know? So past is gone. <laughs> Future hasn't happened yet. <laughs> really, wouldn't it make more sense to have as much focus as possible on what's going on in the present in front of us? So, so that is mindfulness. It's bringing our sensory and cognitive awareness to what's going on at the present time. So if we can learn to notice when our minds are drifting, maybe to solving a problem that hasn't happened yet or worrying over this tiny little maybe could happen catastrophic event (laughs) trying to solve that problem. If we can learn to kind of notice our minds going to those unhelpful places and gently gently and non-judgmentally bring our awareness back to sensory cues in the present this is the skill that we're learning and kind of the muscle that we are flexing when we practice mindfulness and this can be helpful in moments of anxiety and also just in any moment at all um i'll give you an example of when i recently used (laughs) mindfulness so it's been a little cold here in the suburbs of philadelphia (laughs) And I was walking into our grocery store um, the other day, and the wind is just whipping across my face. Sounds like Friday. Yes. (laughs) It was uncomfortable. And I probably had like about maybe a 30-second walk from my car to the grocery store doors. And for that 30 seconds, I thought, you know what? I could think about how uncomfortable this is. I could feel my shoulders going up to my ears to try to just protect myself and Mm -hmm. my muscles tensing and holding my breath almost to cope with this horrible, horrible physical feeling. Or I could recognize that I saw five birds in that tree right there. Or look, Mm -hmm. another really nice red car. Or how do my feet feel in my shoes? They are nice and warm, right? Before I know it, I'm in the grocery store. Did it solve the problem of being cold? Absolutely not, I was still cold. But I was able to kind of shift the spotlight of what my brain was focusing on onto something that at least for that 30 seconds was more helpful to think about. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great great way to look at that. Because we, we are gonna have anxiety and people that have extreme anxiety are probably gonna have it. But how can we ourselves change the way we think right the way we respond yes and how can we also start training our body to maybe lessen the intense emotions yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i i like the quote don't believe everything you think and it really (laughs) highlights how we have so many thoughts throughout the day and most of them just kind of go through us and kind of Mm -hmm. float down this conveyor belt and that's a good thing the ones that kind of get caught up in us um the feelings of uncertainty the i gotta watch out for this things like they're not actually helpful to carry on to carry with us they only really just rob the joy from our everyday life and so our brains are very powerful. Mm -hmm. If we can kind of move our focus to something else, something more helpful, even if it's just practicing it in a comfortable place and then using those skills in the rest of your life, 
I would challenge people to kind of try a, a five-minute mindfulness activity and mm-hmm. just focus your brain on something in front of you. It can be a pen or a paper clip or something and just notice how your thoughts might drift. So you're staring at this pen or you're staring at this paper clip and your brain starts to get bored pretty quickly because you're staring at a pen or a paper clip. And you might start thinking about worries and trying to solve other types of problems and notice that it's happening and just bring your focus back to kind of what you see. And do that for five minutes, set a timer on your phone. Um, and every time you kind of do that, you're noticing, you're catching yourself. It's kind of strengthening that muscle for the times that you can do it out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's something I've tried, I try to do in the morning. I try to set that time to become more mindful, to meditate. For some people that might be prayer. And it's funny because my son is getting up really early now. So it's getting harder to like, not find the time, but to be like awake at an hour that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually moved it into the shower. Oh, nice. And like I'll start with my ha- when I wash my hair and just being like really observant yeah. And like, so focusing only on washing my hair, what it feels like, all of that. So you can move your meditation or your mindful practice to something else too. And you know, you might be in the shower for 10 minutes and use that 10 minutes to really focus on yourself and not try to solve the problems of the world. That's a great one because I know in the shower that can be a time that you're just figuring stuff out (laughs) and it's to bring your focus Mm -hmm. back to just really comfortable things, how the warm water feels Mm -hmm. on your skin and massaging your scalp and some things that maybe just happen without us bringing an awareness to them and that isn't as joyful as it could be so good example i like the mindfully washing dishes too like adding it into something that you have to do anyway but like how does this sponge feel in my hand you know as the warm water goes off my fingers what does that feel like you know how is this plate i don't know how does this plate feel in my Mm -hmm. hand i'm just noticing all of those things that usually would just be gone and not even in our awareness at all yeah, like, oh my gosh, look at all these dishes in the sink. Mm, set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's an unhelpful thought. <laughs> Not doing anything for you. <laughs> um, so how can we support others who are dealing with this? I I don't know, like sometimes I feel like others might be resistant and it's especially hard when you don't want to seem like the, oh, try this, this worked for me kind of person. Yeah. How would you suggest especially people who are close with you that you care about, like what are things that we can do to help other people with their anxiety? I mean, I think the first thing that doesn't often get done is just validating what their experience is, trying not to lessen, trying not to minimize, really just validating and hearing them and recognizing like, yeah, that that must be really hard, I'm sorry. Um, I always with friends will ask, you know, is this something that you're looking for help with to solve or do you want to vent Mm. you know because oftentimes it's the vent (laughs) and that is fine (laughs) but when people go into quick problem solving mode it can feel really minimizing and so Mm -hmm. that's always just a good kind of you know in your social groups question to ask like do you want support (laughs) do you want me to help you fix this yeah do you want a band-aid or (laughs) do you just need me to be here and listen yeah do you need to feel heard do you need Mm -hmm. to feel I don't know validated like 
we all need that and we don't often get it. Yeah, because I do think it is oftentimes hard to solve other people's problems with them. And they're like hoping for the solution, but really like that's something that, especially with anxiety, comes from within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So that kind of leads us to our next question, the role of counseling, working with a therapist. Like what is the role of a therapist or when you feel, and I will be completely honest, like going to a therapist, first of all, there's nothing wrong with it. Second of all, it's super important. And I think more people should be talking. So even if that therapist is the person to vent to, Mm -hmm. all right, even if that person is someone that you can find once a week, once a month to help you overcome anxiety, whatever issue in mental health, that's just really dragging you down in your life. So what, what would it look like for you, for other people? Yeah. Um, so I I think what a lot of people think is that they can come to a therapist with a problem and the therapist will tell them what to do. And I've never done that. (laughs) I never tell people what to do. The way I might handle something is different from how someone else might. And so I think for many people, especially trauma survivors, psychotherapy is about giving language to an emotional experience and validating the pain that they are experiencing and have been experiencing. Um, We might do a lot of work on recognizing um, like when interpersonal boundaries can be stronger to keep them safe or identifying unaddressed emotional needs or possible unhelpful thinking patterns as we've discussed earlier um you know between thoughts feelings and behaviors um i would say for most people psychotherapy is about slowing down enough to give space and awareness to a lot of these automatic processes Mm -hmm. that happen without thinking without reflection and they, I think through our experiences, we've all built up walls in many ways. And whether we realize it or not, out of self-protection. And that is wonderful and it makes a lot of sense. As we talked about, a lot of these things, as we go into different environments and as we develop more emotional maturity, they hold us back in many mm-hmm. ways. And so psychotherapy is about kind of recognizing when that pattern might be taking place. Um, we need to learn safe and healthy ways to be vulnerable with others so that we can deepen our relationships with other people. So learning about when to kind of drop those self-protective behaviors Mm -hmm. um, and basically just add space for reflection and building emotional resiliency so that we can engage more fully with the world that we live Mm -hmm. in. And I always encourage my clients to live by what they value in life as opposed to what they fear and so many of us are kind of walking around and responding to fears or threats when which are pushing us away from kind of what we value in life mm. and so if we can kind of redirect and identify what's missing what is important what are we not attending to and is it because of these reasons if the anxiety is being not helpful then how can we kind of get back on the right track yeah awesome Um, so if you're someone that even, I would say like small, 
part like I don't know small bouts of anxiety that are really hindering your life and what you're doing definitely seeing someone is important and like that it's giving that time to yourself like your that hour might be like the self-care right like I don't know for me maybe like washing my hair and the meditation might be like my self-care it can be five minutes it can be an hour but it's super important to take care of yourself because this is where we are yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't pour from an empty pot. So think about how more, how much more effective you will be if you are kind of functioning at the highest level that you can. Yeah, and definitely I know that there are some great places in the area. I'll put a few in the show notes as well, places that you might want to check out. And just know that some places do take insurance, not all of them, um, but it's also something like where, where do you want your money to go? And that's something you need to consider as you go through this beautiful life. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to ask Rennie three questions that I ask everybody. Um, Rennie, what stretches are you doing in your own life? Um, so stretch, growth, pushing myself. One thing that I have been trying to do more so over the past few years is getting into more plant-based eating. Mm-hmm. Um it originally started as like a kind of animal rights. If you just Google factory farms, you'll know. Um, it started as that, and then it became a really big environmental issue, mm-hmm. and now kind of like a health issue. So it's kind of at the point now, it's like, why am I not doing this? <laughs> so yeah. um, really just figuring out how I can incorporate that in my life and my family's life as often as I can is, um, you know, you got to get creative sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. if you're on the move. So that's been something that I've been kind of pushing myself to kind of adapt to. That's awesome. So cool. Um, What is something that you're enjoying doing in your life for you right now? I try every day to spend time in nature even though right now in January it's a little less enjoyable but I notice such a difference in my own mood when I can kind of connect with the earth in those ways and um, even if it's just for a few minutes to just kind of notice those elements in action it's like a good mix of relaxation and rejuvenation I guess Mm -hmm. like it gives me energy but it also calms me down so I try to do that for myself at least every day to get out and spend time in nature that's awesome so great (laughs) um what's something you can't stop talking about obviously all of this (laughs) but um definitely my kiddos I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and It may not seem like they do very much, but in my eyes, they do so much and are so accomplished and awesome. So I guess I always talk about them wherever I go and whoever I'm talking with. And I guess I have to say my husband too, And because if I don't, he'll be mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rennie's son is so, and her daughter's adorable and amazing too, but knowing that he's four, his He's, it's verbally, he's, you know, able to have a conversation with you, and he's, like, the sweetest boy, and I said something to my husband, I was like, Darren is just so sweet, and he goes, 
Well, he hangs out with Rennie all day. He has to be <laughs> like the nicest kid in the world. So I think it's important too when you when we look at our own mental health, like what's there for us too. And I love that. And sometimes like it could be kids, it could be family members, it could be your friends. You know, there's always somebody there for you that wants you to be your best. And I think that's why this episode, first of all, people asked about, people were saying, you know, can you get someone with mental health? And it's, it's important for us to recognize that in other people too. Yes, you matter. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Rennie. Thanks, Jen. I hope you enjoyed listening to Rennie talk about anxiety, how it can be good for us, how we can cope with it, And maybe when we need to see somebody to help us in our own mental health. And to be completely honest, I feel that there are times in our lives where people might need to see a therapist or see somebody that will help them find how their mind processes information and how to train their mind to maybe examine the situation differently we actually had a really interesting conversation afterwards on how on how OCD clients might be a little bit different and how Rennie would talk through people that have OCD and I just think it's so fascinating I know that um about two years ago maybe a little less um I struggled with some mental health it was definitely affecting my job I had just had a miscarriage in between my children and it was really devastating I was hoping to go through the motherhood journey again and I know that I put a lot of effort into running into yoga and it ended up where I had to see somebody to help me overcome like where my mind was going and I don't know how to take the next step forward and it was a really beneficial thing for me I'm no longer seeing them because I feel that I've done a lot of work to help me again rephrase the thoughts that were in my head and I will say that meditation has helped me significantly and if you're not into meditation if that's not your thing um, some people might feel that prayer is a is a way that they feel connection and calm. And I think that when you find that peaceful moment, and I even talked about how sometimes in the day it's hard to find that peaceful moment, but just washing your hair in the shower or even walking the dog. If you can stay present into the sights and sounds of what's going on in your life for five minutes, it can help reset our mind and rejuvenate where we are so I am going to lead us in this cool down portion this meditation into the progressive muscle relaxation and I know Rennie mentioned it is really good for people with anxiety and stress um, but it's also really good for people who struggle with sleeping who have insomnia and chronic pain so if this is done, and you can find a lot of like scripts online, um, I'm going to give you the one that I like to use, um, but it does help with headaches, um, high blood pressure, digestive disturbances, which, as Rennie said, could be an issue of mental health or anxiety. So progressive muscle relaxation can be learned by anybody, 
Um, it is suggested that you relax and tense muscles one at a time in a specific order. So some people like to go from the head down. I prefer starting with like the lower part, so going from the toes to the head. Um, you can do this seated or laying down um, as long as you're comfortable. So I will lead you into a progressive muscle relaxation and it's simple and you can just listen to my voice and there's no like right or wrong way to do it and I think that's what's really important about this so I like to do this lying down but if you feel better seated if you think you're gonna fall asleep lying down get into a comfortable position chair couch floor whatever feels comfortable for you so allow your attention to focus on your body if you begin to notice your mind wandering gently bring it back to the muscle that we are working on and take a deep breath hold for a few seconds and exhale slowly as you breathe notice your stomach rising notice your lungs filling with air Take your time and spend the next two minutes breathing and noticing your breath. We're going to begin with your toes. So curl your toes under, tensing your feet, and just squeeze for four, three, two, one, release. Now flex 
both of your feet. Pulling your toes towards you. And begin to feel the tension in your calves for four, three, two, one. Relax and feel the weight of both of your legs sinking into the earth. Feel the tension and squeeze your entire legs and thighs. Hold for four, three, two, one, and relax. Feel the tension dissolving from your legs. Squeeze your glutes. Hold. Four, three, two, one. Release. Feel the tension melting away. Gently arch your lower back. Hold for four, three, two, one. Relax. And squeeze the muscles in your stomach. Suck them in. Hold for five, four, three, two, one. Release. Notice the tension and stress releasing. Tighten your chest by taking a deep breath in and hold four, three, two, one. Exhale, blow out all the tension from the chest. Tense your upper back by pulling your shoulder blades back, trying to make them touch. Hold for four, three, two, 
one, release. Lift your shoulders up, expanding them towards the ears. Hold for five, four, three, two, one, release, letting them relax down. And then begin to clench your fists and hold four, three, two, one, release. Bring your awareness and the tension to your forearms. Feel the muscles tightening. Four, three, two, one, release. Now bring tension to your entire arms. Visualize the set of muscles tightening for four, three, two, one. Notice the arms go limp. Feel the weight in the back of your neck. So gently pull your head back as if to look at the ceiling. Four, three, two, one, release. Feeling the tension from the head and neck melt away. Breathe in. And breathe out. Smile widely, feeling your mouth and face tense. Hold for four, three, two, one, release, and notice the softness in your face. And then tighten the muscles in your forehead Raise the eyebrows, squeeze into the forehead. 
hold for four, three, two, one, release. Breathe in, breathe out, let go of all the stress. As you breathe in, notice your stomach rising. And as you exhale, imagine the tension in your body being released and flowing out of your body. Inhale in. Exhale out. Feel your body full, relaxed, and calm. You are done and feeling completely relaxed. When you're ready, starting to make some movement into the body, Taking your time to get up. Give me your time to just notice any changes that you feel in the body. So that ends the cool down portion, the guided meditation. And Again, there's many different ways of doing this. Some scripts call for the right leg first, the left leg, right arm, left arm. It's completely up to you. And you can even take as much time or as little time in between the tensing and releasing to help you kind of tap into your own body. I like the five seconds with a few breaths in between, and that's what I guided you through. There's no right or wrong way to do it. So thank you so much again for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and if you liked the meditation, if you liked the episode, please let me know. If there's something that you would love to hear on the show, you know, it's important, again, not only to stretch our bodies physically, but also mentally. And this episode on mental health is one that I hope will resonate with a lot of people. And I'm so honored to be able to share this with you.